He knew who I was. I knew who he was. and But it was just all cordial. We just knew who we were. And <clears throat> glad I knew who I was. <laughs> but uh, we were talking, and and uh, he said, you go to church, don't you? And I said, well, yeah, I go to church. I said, do you go to church? He's like, uh, my wife and I, we've kind of been struggling, and we have our kids, and we kind of want to go to church just to get them in church. I said, oh, really? And um, he said, yeah, we've just been kind of struggling with our marriage. So it's kind of a crazy, you know, when somebody's hurting, when you barely know the, the person and all of a sudden they start talking about hurt in their life. And uh, he said, have you ever heard of Focus on the Family? I said, oh, yeah. I said, with Dr. James Dobson. He said, yeah, we went down to uh, Branson a couple weeks ago. They had a marriage conference and it was really good. It was really good for us, but we're just still struggling. And I said, man, is it okay if I can just keep you in my prayers, in my prayer journal that I have in my office? Is it all right if I, if I do that? And he's like, absolutely. And I said, are you guys going to church right now? And he said, well, no. <laughs> he was just real honest, which I was thankful for. And uh, I said, well, not to be biased, but I said, there's a church just literally right across the street from where you work. And I said, it's the greatest church on the planet. <laughs> but uh, I said, it's Berean. It's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. And I said, well, actually, I'm on staff there. Oh, really? I said, yeah. He's like, oh, so you do go to church? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much every day. And, uh, and I just said, I want to, like I said, I said, I want to put you in my prayer journal and and he said, there's not many people that pray for people anymore. And he said, I've had people that say they'll pray for me and I know for a fact that they don't. And I said, can I shake your hand? He said, yeah. And I shook his hand, I put my other hand on his hand and I looked him straight in the eye and I said, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm not gonna give him his name, but if you would keep him and his wife in prayer, God would do something amazing in their lives. I don't believe nothing happens by accident. And I believe it was an ordained situation at that moment that he needed some love. He needed shown some kindness. And even in this time of year, it's easy for us to get, and I've, we've heard it, and I'm not preaching to the choir, but we get so busy and hustle and bustle and really do forget the true meaning of what Christmas is really all about. It's not about love. It's not about friendship. It's not about presence. It's about a baby that was born that would 33 years later die to save us from our sins. 
and that we would serve him and only him. Amen. And this morning, my heart is full because of the love that I have for my God, the love that I have for my Savior. Church, we don't deserve the life that we have. We lack nothing when it comes to serving Jesus. He's our provider. He's our source. He's our healer. He's our peace. He's the love of my life. The love of my life. Let's sing this together.
things we say and do unto your name. Amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful to be in the house of God this morning? Amen. Turn to one next to you and say, I love Jesus. Amen.
Christmas traditions around the world can be both insightful and fascinating. In Finland, there's a tradition that has been happening for more than 700 years. It's called the Declaration of Christmas Peace. Each year at noon on Christmas Eve, the Christmas peace is declared in the city of Turku from the balcony of a mansion in the old Great Square. The declaration reads thusly, Tomorrow, God willing, in the graceful celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, and thus is declared a peaceful Christmas time to all by advising devotion and to behave otherwise quietly and peacefully. Because he who breaks this peace and violates the peace of Christmas by any illegal or improper behavior shall under aggravating circumstances be guilty and punished according to what the law and the statutes prescribe for each and every offense separately. Finally, a joyous Christmas feast is wished to all the inhabitants of the city. Apparently, the Finns take Christmas peace very seriously. The second candle of Advent is the peace candle. Unfortunately, peace cannot be legislated. And for some, peace may seem like a long way off. If this is where you find yourself today, let us be reminded that Jesus is always present when the storms of life threaten us. He is there with us. When peace seems lost and the way forward is a bit unclear, he is with us. He is there in the very kinds of places. It's in these places that God shows up. This is where the Christ child is born. This is where the angels appear. This is the place where Joseph needed answers. It is the place where hope and fear meet. And the result is supernatural peace. Amen, amen, amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all in this second week of Advent. Glad that you're here this morning, and it's good to see people in the building. Amen, and see smiling, happy faces. We've begun a journey through Advent following the words of the angels in four specific places where they declare, do not be afraid. And um, our theme for Advent this year comes from a little town of Bethlehem. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Hope and fear meet at Bethlehem. And when God's directives are received and entered into, the result of that is hope will triumph. The hopes and fears of all the years. And I think that kind of captures the attitudes and feelings of what's happened during this COVID season. The hopes and fears of this year. <laughs> are met in Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about Zechariah 
and understood that we don't have to be afraid because God answers prayer. How many of you believe that God answers prayer? I believe that. God answers prayer. Not always the way that I wanted him to answer it or the way I informed him to answer it, but God always answers prayer. So I don't have to be afraid because he hears us. This morning, we're going to look at Joseph and the encounter he had with the angel. The Bible says about Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is a specific exhortation to not be afraid. So why would Joseph face this uncertainty and certainly um, uh, hurtful revelation without experiencing fear? It's because not only does God answer our prayer, but God also always has a plan. He's not taken by surprise. One of my favorite texts is in John in the feeding of the 5,000. And they're looking at an impossible situation, 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, or 5,000 plus women and children. How many of you have ever run out of food at a meal at your house when you had guests over? Anybody ever experienced that? You see it running down? Nobody? I can tell you there have been a couple times at our house that I had a quarter serving. Uh, because I didn't go first. Imagine that a thousand times, that feeling of discomfort and embarrassment. And Jesus says to his disciples, what are we going to do? And the Bible says this, he asked this only to test him because he already had in mind what he was going to do. That's the God we serve. You may not have any idea what to do. Hello? I said, you might not have any idea what to do, but you can rest in hope and not be afraid, have the peace of God that transcends understanding envelope your life because he already knows what he's going to do. I faced circumstances that were unexpected, and I thought, now what am I going to do? Anybody ever been there since you never ran out of food? How many have ever felt like, um, now what am I going to do? And the good news is, he already knows what he's going to do. You lose a job. What am I going to do? He already knows what he's going to do. Your car breaks down. What am I going to do? He already knows. Is there anyone in the house this morning? It's all right to uh, respond during Advent. He already knows what he's going to do. And with Joseph, Joseph can have peace because God has a plan in the midst of the circumstance that Joseph finds himself in. You don't have to be afraid because he already has a plan. So what does that look like? Well, I think if you look at verse 18, here's the truth I'd like you to grab hold of. We're going to spend a little bit of time just kind of feeling this a little bit. God has a plan following personal disappointment. God has a plan following personal disappointment. There's a lot of speculation about Mary and Joseph and what their relationship was really all about. The Bible says in verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
lot of fanciful writing. There are those who believe that Joseph was older than Mary because he disappears after the temple account. You don't see him in the later years of Jesus' ministry at all, so he must have been older. How many of you know that there are other ways you can die without just dying of old age? So that's just a speculation. Then there's speculation that it was an arranged marriage because many marriages in that time were arranged. And it's possible, and it certainly is true, that marriage in biblical times was linked together by two families coming together. But if it had been arranged, where is reference to the families now that Mary is pregnant? Because a dowry would have been paid to the bride's father and that would have to be refunded and there was relationships that would have to be discussed and there's no reference there at all to that voiding of the covenant. And it's also important to understand in this story that we're talking about the betrothal period. The betrothal period was a legally binding engagement. It was as binding as the marriage was. When you were betrothed, you were married. The husband then would go to the place that they were to live and spend the next months up to a year preparing a place for the bride to live and then he would come back and receive her. Does that sound like any thing we're looking forward to in Advent season. Jesus is preparing a place for us. And in that discussion, there's no emphasis or even mention of the family. So here's what it's led me to conclude. Joseph proposed to Mary, entered into a betrothal, not because he was older looking for a younger bride, not because the parents picked her out, but because he loved her. I believe it's a love story. The only answer that fits here is that Joseph loved her, had committed to her, had legally committed himself in betrothal. So imagine with all the hopes, and how many of you are are married? How many of you remember your wedding day? (laughs) And I know that probably the wedding didn't live up to your expectations in every possible way. There are always things that happen. The ring bearer swallows the ring or some crazy thing happens. But in that moment, it's all the hope of the future. It's the expectation of a wonderful life lived together. I would never marry a couple who came to see me and said, we're going to get married, but we know it's downhill from here. Right? That's the beginning of a great adventure together. You have no idea what's going to be part of that adventure, but love is blooming and hope is abounding and there's excitement and joy. And I'm sure that Joseph experienced all of those, as did Mary. And then he finds out that his bride-to-be is pregnant. That's a devastating moment. Now, I don't know if Mary told him that the child in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but I will tell you, Joseph doesn't believe that in Matthew chapter 1 because he's going to put her away privately, which tells me that that act of not wanting her to be put to embarrassment but not willing to move forward with the relationship was that he still loved her. 
but the betrayal that he must have felt. I'm betrothed to you. You're betrothed to me. We're committed to each other exclusively. And you're pregnant? And had she said, it's by the Holy Spirit, I imagine Joseph would have thought, that's the best story you can come up with? Not only is she pregnant, she's delusional. She needs treatment. Is anyone hearing me this morning? Life sometimes hurts. Come on. Life sometimes hurts. And it sometimes hurts really deeply when the people that are closest to you, that you love and invest in, wound you and betray you. We go through some really dark trials when we feel like the people that we love have betrayed us in some fashion. Is there anyone in the house that's felt the pain of betrayal, that dark night of the soul where you feel like the people that you've loved and have loved you have done you wrong and you're there just just feeling broken and alone. I want you to experience that for a moment. I want you to remember what that felt like. I can give you story after story, as many of you can, and show you the scars that I bear over personal betrayal of being a church family, mom and dad and five kids all going to church together Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and then fast forward as my parents are divorced and my mother moves us in with a functional drunk that she's not married to and all the junk that's going on there with alcohol and drugs and pornography and immorality, and I have to tell you in that moment I felt completely and utterly betrayed and on my own. The people that should have been protecting me and caring for me put me in a horrible, horrible situation. You've been wounded. You've been hurt. And I've got bad news. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. There's no guarantee in this life that you're going to live in such a way that no one's going to hurt you, no one's going to wound you. And I will tell you this, that if you build up walls so that no one can hurt you, You will die inside those walls. It'll destroy you. Joseph in that moment is broken. The woman that he loved, that he committed his life to, has betrayed him. She's been intimate with another man, and she's pregnant. The bitterness and pain he must have felt. So much pain. He was planning to quietly break the betrothal. And you have to ask, why would he do it now? Because conservative Jews taught that the Deuteronomy 24 principle of divorce only applied to the betrothal period. If there was some uncleanness in here and you're going to put her away, you had to do it then. How do you get through that? There's only one way. You have to believe in the darkest night of your pain, the darkest night of your betrayal. And and I'm just going to be totally honest with you. When our firstborn son died, I felt like God had betrayed me. Where are you? What do you do in that dark night of the soul? You have to believe that he has a plan. That this did not take him by surprise. And that out of your bitter tears and broken heart and the darkness of the moment, that he has a plan out of that 
for your good. He has not forsaken you. He's not lived, left you alone. You are not by yourself. God knew what was coming. And in this specific case, it was part of the plan. Joseph didn't understand it all, but what the angel reveals to him is that God has a plan for him out of his pain back into a place of blessing. So I would, I would appeal to you during the Advent season when everything is sparkling and bright and everybody's happy outside and it all looks like Norman Rockwell. When you feel alone and betrayed, remember he has a plan for you that will bring you out of your despair and pain into a place of life and abundance again. You have to believe that. It did not take him by surprise. He already knows what he will do, and he loves you and will lead you to a place greater than anything you've imagined before this experience. Now, when he has this revelation, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary. You don't have to be afraid to take Mary. Because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that that didn't make his pain go away? Because what happens next? <laughs> they have to live life in the spotlight of people's criticism. She's pregnant during the betrothal. Either she had an affair or Joseph and Mary had a premarital relationship that was directly frowned on. And they have to live that out. And how would you like to have been Joseph? Um, is your wife pregnant? Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Are you hearing me? The fact that God has a plan for you doesn't make all the pain go away. In fact, you might have to journey a dark road for a while. I, I know this isn't supposed to be the happy Christmas message, but I really felt heavy on my heart that some of us have to understand that just because you're in a broken place that hurts and you've been there for a while, Joseph is going to have to walk that for nine months down a dusty road to a place called Bethlehem where there's no room in an inn and how much worse can it get with a pregnant wife that no one's respecting and have to go to a barn to give birth to the baby it's not necessarily over but how many of you are glad that Joseph got through those dark nights and got through that pain and stayed faithful to God and I promise you that in your darkness and pain and that road that you walk if you will stay faithful you'll come out on the other side with ministry greater than you'd ever experienced before. It's been said that God can't use you greatly until you've been broken greatly. So your flesh is subdued and you learn to trust him. And I think in the holiday season, we have to come to the place that we acknowledge <laughs> That the gospel that teaches that it's all sunshine, roses, and smiles isn't true. What is true is that in your darkness, he knew it was happening. And whatever the cause and who's ever to blame, whoever is at fault is irrelevant in this limited sense. God already knew and God already has a plan for you. You can trust that. In the midst of personal disappointment, 
God has a plan. Second, in those dark nights, sometimes, how many are still with me? Because I want you to grab this. Sometimes what you know to do isn't what you should do. Sometimes what you know to do isn't what you should do. Look at verse 19. Why was he going to put her away? Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. The law basically gave him freedom, in fact, encouragement. Because if she had been unfaithful to him, had committed adultery, in a different context, he would have had right to have her stoned. He could have put her away. It was an uncleanness that would mark the rest of their journey. And so it would seem, if you look at, if you look at the circumstance and you look at Scripture, it seems like there's only one thing that someone dedicated to the law can do, and that is put her away. <laughs> That'd be faithfulness to the law. No one would criticize him. No one, no one could hold him in judgment for that moment. But sometimes the right thing isn't the right thing. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm not suggesting that the wrong thing is ever the right thing. That is not. Don't quote me that way. I will, I will come after you. The wrong thing is never the right thing, but what you see clearly as the right course of action, what you know you ought to do, may not be what you ought to do. I ought to sue them. They ought to have to pay. Yes, you have the right, and I'm not saying it's always wrong. I'm just saying that sometimes the thing that you know you ought to do, God may have another perspective. He may have something else he wants you to see. There may be another course of action. So, hear me. It is never right to do the wrong thing. Are you hearing me? It is never right to do the wrong thing. But don't let your rigid religiosity blind you to a better thing God might want to do. Don't let rigid religiosity, a commitment to the law, blind you to what you ought to do because the law doesn't demand that he put her away. The law doesn't demand that there be judgment. When we think about Joseph being faithful to the law, the definition of faithful here means to be righteous, observing divine law, upright, virtuous, keeping the commands of God, innocent, faultless, guiltless. It has to do with the way of thinking, feeling, and acting, wholly conformed to the will of God, and one who needs no rectification in heart and life. Joseph was a pure, godly man, faithful to the law facing an aberration, what appears to him to be a sin, a failure. He was going to do what he knew to do. He had the right, 
almost the responsibility. This sin needs to be confronted. She needs to have to pay. This isn't right. Is anybody hearing me this morning? (laughs) Uh, But maybe there's another option. Do you know what Jesus is amazingly capable of doing? Rectifying situations in a supernatural way. Do you remember the story of a leper pressing through the crowd, of a woman with an issue of blood pressing through the crowd to get to Jesus? Do you know in that moment they're all unclean? They should have been punished and set aside and everybody went into quarantine. (laughs) But what did Jesus do? Jesus had another way. You know what he did? He healed them. He did what no one else could do. He healed them, and then the infraction of uncleanness is no longer present because he did a miracle. Is it possible that when you're at a place that you know what you ought to do, you know what you have the right to do, I have to honor God, and this is what I'm going to have to do, and maybe what you know you ought to do isn't what you ought to do. Maybe there's another way. Oh, Pastor Larry... There have been some people I would have been totally justified in putting them out of my misery. (laughs) Is anybody hearing me? But what I knew I ought to do wasn't what I ought to do. What would God say? What does God see? Well, I don't have any choice. This is what I have to do. And we act with judgmental attitudes and somebody is going to suffer. Yeah, it's wrong. It's wrong by all external evaluation. But maybe there's another way to look at this. Maybe there's another way to approach. God's ways are higher than our ways. God makes a way where there is no way. There's a higher way of looking at this. And I just want to encourage you in your times of pain, when you know what you ought to do, take a pause, take it to your prayer closet and be open to God's clarity that may differ from the obvious in his creativity and his love and his supernatural power. There may be another way for you to journey through this difficult time. There might be a solution I mean, we serve an amazing God. Do you, know that, do you know that he told Hosea to marry a prostitute? Sometimes he has a unique way. Is there anybody in the house this morning? Sometimes what you know to do isn't what you should do. And third, in times of prophetic, I'm sorry, in times of disappointment, really want you to hear this. In times of disappointment, I want to challenge you to be open to prophetic revelation. Because often, when we're in times of celebration, we're not listening. We're not listening. But I've discovered, as much as you may not like what I'm going to say, I've discovered that some of the greatest revelations I've ever received from God came in the moments of my deepest pain. 
that I may know him, Paul cried out, in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable to his death. It may be in that moment that if we want to be like him, we're going to have to suffer with him, that there may be a moment of pain that in that time, if you will be still and listen, there might be a prophetic word from heaven that will come to you in your hour of need. What is it that the angel says to Joseph? She (laughs) will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. And Joseph is the first one in my understanding to hear these words because he will save his people from their sins. No one even knew it yet other than Mary. And Joseph is there wondering what to do. And God is saying, Joseph, I'm going to give you a glimpse of my prophetic plan and what this is all about. I'm going to let you see something now that no one else has seen. This is the Messiah who will save his people from their sins. And you need to be faithful to the task because the redemption of the world depends on this moment. To see something that no one else has seen. Joseph changes course 180 degrees. What does it say? This took place to fulfill the prophet, but look in verse 24 when Joseph woke up. I love this. When he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. That's a man of faith. How do I know that he was a man of purity, a man of integrity, a man full of the word, a man that was honoring God? Because in that moment, there's no argument. There's no word from Joseph saying, how do I know this is true, Zechariah? I'm good. God said it. I'm just going to do it. Question over. Problem solved. God said it. It doesn't have to matter to anybody else. He doesn't seek counsel. He doesn't pray about it. He doesn't go back to the word to search it out. He got a revelation from God. And he awakens and simply does what he's told to do. Let me tell you that only... A word from God can do that. God has a word for you. Come on. God has a word for you in your times of disappointment and pain. I promise you, God has a word from you. But you can't hear it when you're complaining. You can't hear it when you're sobbing so loud you're not listening. You have to quiet your spirit. You have to calm down and say, God, I need a word from you. I stood at an open grave, had already decided that I was going to throw my Bible in the grave and start over when our son died. And I heard God say, I needed a word. 
I was about to fall off the edge. And I heard him say, don't. Don't. And I will rebuild you. There's a word for you. There is a word for you. There's a divine prophetic revelation for you. And for many people, it's not until you're in the crucible of suffering that you'll be in the place that you're ready to hear his voice. So quiet yourself. Don't complain and accuse and stomp and break things and carry on and rant and rave. Quiet yourself. Go to sleep. And God might have a word for you. We were driving across South Dakota after the funeral. And I hadn't been able to sleep for several days. And I just said, God, I need a word from you. And he gave me a vision that I could almost see on the windshield of the car. You don't have to worry about driving in South Dakota. There's nothing in your way. And it was in that moment when I finally quieted and said, I need to hear from you that God gave me a word. Is anyone hearing me this morning? In your disappointment and pain and sorrow, Joseph, God has a prophetic revelation for you. Don't miss that moment. Don't miss that moment. And last... We're going to come back where we ended up last week. Prophetic revelation is powerless without purposeful obedience. Prophetic revelation is powerless without purposeful obedience. Joseph awoke and did what the angel commanded him. And do you know what I find fascinating? And I've, I've done some research this week. It never dawned on me before. But nowhere in the New Testament does Joseph ever speak. I, I married a couple once with a young man who hardly ever spoke and a wife who hardly ever stopped. <laughs> and I said to them, this is going to be a problem for you. He loved to camp, and camping for him was tenting. Camping for her was Holiday Inn. <laughs> and finally, they wore and wore and wore on each other, and their marriage didn't last Um, about a year because they couldn't bridge the differences. And men sometimes are not known for their conversational skills. How many wives have ever looked at your husband and said, will you just listen to me? How many of you have ever wanted your husband to listen rather than fix it? Come on, you can be honest. With heads bowed, eyes closed. (laughs) My wife made that really clear to me one day. Can you quit trying to fix it and just listen? Joseph was a great listener because he never talked. We have no record of him saying anything. In fact, when they can't find Jesus in the temple, I mean, they can't find him on the journey and they're looking for him, they return to the temple and it doesn't even say they said. Mary said, your father and I. Joseph is standing there. (laughs) The Bible tells us later 
that an angel of the Lord, after Jesus is born, appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Get up, tell the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there till I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill you. I mean, that is a radical dream. Get up, take your child and mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there, because Herod's trying to kill your baby. So what does Joseph do? So he got up, took the child's mother during the night, went to Egypt, stayed there till Herod died. <laughs> what a man. You could call him the strong, silent type, but Joseph was the kind that if God said it, that settled it, I'm going to do it. He was resolute. He simply obeyed what God spoke to him. Would to God we'd quit asking for assurance and confirmation and just hear the word of God and then walk in that in obedience. Because without his obedience, there is no Jesus. I said, without his obedience, there's no Jesus. Mary's an unwed mother. There's no story to tell. Now, before you put too much on Joseph and say, wow, I never thought about that. Without Joseph, there had been no Jesus. Well, that's not entirely true. Because without Joseph's obedience, God could have killed him and raised up another man. <laughs> but Joseph's life depends on his obedience that paves the way for Jesus to be the savior of the world, to remove that reproach. Without obedience, there is no answer. Cooperation between the will of God and obedience of man is essential. I'm going to say the same thing that I said last week. Fear falls at the place of obedience. When Joseph said yes, I believe that the peace of God that passes all understanding kept his heart and mind through faith in Almighty God. So for you and I, We can have peace in the midst of the storm when we're convinced that God has a plan. <laughs> There's been more than once in our journey that we've hit roadblocks and my wife will say, do you have a plan? <laughs> do you know where we are? Uh, I know where we're going. Never been lost. I was bewildered for several hours. But when you say, in a time of storm, do you have a plan? Absolutely, I have a plan. What does that do? It gives peace. It engenders confidence. Unless you always have a plan that fails. Here's what will give you peace in your storm. Believing not only, believing that he answers prayer will give you hope. Believing that he has a plan will give you peace. He'll give you peace. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For God has a plan out of your place of pain. With heads bowed, eyes closed, be very, very specific this morning.
but I'm convinced there's someone here, maybe in the chapel or watching online, that you're stuck because of a place of pain and disappointment and bitterness. Spiritually, you've never been able to move on because all you've seen is your suffering. This isn't fair. This should not have happened to me. There's no reason that I should have to go through this. And you'll stay stuck until you believe that he has a plan and you trust him for that plan. No one's looking around. But this morning, if you're stuck in a place of bitterness, disappointment, pain, over something in your past, you'll never move on till you trust he has a plan. With no one looking around, please, if you're in that spot, this is your moment to find deliverance, to say, I'm going to trust him. If you're in that spot, I want you to lift your hand. Thank you. Hold your hand up. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyone else this morning? I'm in a place I need to trust his plan. Thank you. In the balcony, I see your hand. In the balcony, thank you. It has been said, it has been said that you're either going into a storm, in a storm, or coming out of a storm. And the next time you hit one, just remember, God has a plan. I want you to look up here for a moment, and then we're going to stand and just take some time to let God confirm his word in our spirit. But my mother, when she was alive, was a really troubled soul. She would call me on a regular basis as after I was married, young adult, and she'd say, I was a horrible mother. I did terrible things. I was a terrible mother. It wasn't there for you. And I would try to tell, oh, no, you weren't. No, you were one. No, you weren't. And those calls would come on a regular basis. And I remember the day I felt like God gave me a word for her. <laughs> you may not agree with this, but I felt like my job as the firstborn as a son was just to affirm her. And she said, went on that ramped again. And I said, Mom, you know what? You're right. You were a terrible mom. Damage done to our family was because of your choices. Yes, you were right. But we're not there today. And Jesus forgives. And if you trust him, he will forgive you. And I have forgiven you. And we are never having this conversation again. Because we're going to move forward in the peace of God. And who I am today is because of what you have invested in me, good and bad. So let's lay it aside. And someone this morning needs to hear that same thing. You need to lay it aside. Maybe you're the perpetrator. You need to let God wash that away and walk in his new plan. Are you hearing me this morning? Let's stand together. I want us to worship the Lord together. Take a few minutes to just let the peace of God. This is a busy time. It's a tumultuous time. It's a time of uncertainty and what's going to happen ahead of us. How many of you could use a little bit extra 
of the peace of God today. I know I could. The peace of God. Pastor Nathan's going to lead us. And let's take a few moments, can we, to just worship him and let the peace of God that passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus.
Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the assurance from your word that in the midst of any struggle we go through, that you already have a plan, that you already know what you will do. Give us the ability, give us the faith to trust that plan to lead us through our darkness. In Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said, Amen. Amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. What a great God we serve. What a great God we serve.